This is not an expert podcast. I used to live like I had my fish tank in the basement, and so there wasn't light shining into it, so I never really thought about that being as prevalent of a, an issue. But in this one, like we had to shut the blinds because it was just spurring so much algae growth. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. So, yeah. And honestly, once we did that, that made a huge difference. Like, that was the thing that finally allowed me to get on top of the algae growth. Because then we got the snails, and, like, those two things are probably the two biggest things that contributed to us getting rid of the algae. So if you're listening and you have a problem aquarium that just won't stop with the algae, uh, don't let sunlight in and or direct sunlight um, and get you some snails. They eat that shit. Mm-mm. I really do. It was tasty. That's pretty Constantly cool. Constantly chowing down on some algae. They really are. Actually, um, we can even, if we get to a point where our tank doesn't supply enough algae, we can get little algae cubes that they can just feed off of, so that way they don't starve. Yeah. I like it. I'm down. We, um, we can also get little point. fish like cubes where they can just feed off of it uh, every... Like, there's ones that are supposed to dissolve fully within, like, 10 days or whatever, mm-hmm. and they just slowly dissolve and release, like, a little bit of food as they do. So it's a good thing to do if you're, like, going out of town. I was going to say, just in case fish are already too high-maintenance for you as a pet owner, <laughs> <laughs> here's how you dial it back even further. <laughs> it's more just, yeah, like, if you're going on vacation, obviously you don't want to go 10 days without feeding your fish, but... Mm-hmm. You also don't want to be like, hey, will you come in and sprinkle some fish food? True. <laughs> so, anyways, there's that. <laughs> as fish stuff goes. Yeah, we are caught up. We have a fairly clean tank. Mm-hmm. Hoping that these new two fish additions... Don't upset the balance. Or if yeah. they do, it's a fixable amount. And then... I think we'll we'll kind of see how this goes, but maybe next weekend we get another um, two fish. Just mm-hmm. try and give it a week or maybe two mm-hmm. to cycle um, through. Because if we do need more for the schooling fish, then that's totally fine. But I also want to get our other, our little Molly, I want to get that fish um, a few friends as yeah, well. Yeah, some friends. I don't know. I think we may have talked about this in one of our special episodes that we haven't released yet. But I was going to say the the area over there is real nice and colorful you got the orange and the blue like the neon orange that we just installed in the blue tank and then the thing i was gonna bring up is halloween tree Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know if we (laughs) talked about that but megan's halloween tree project where she decked the halls with boughs of (laughs) orange and purple and black (laughs) ornaments and lights it's currently yeah it's currently alternating purple and orange um christmas lights around the tree uh, and it's real bright and real wonderful. The tree uh, topper is a um, dog skeleton that's lopsided. Yeah, it's it basically the top of the tree has is scored through the rib cage of the skeleton dog. So, listen, whatever works. Basically, we have had a Christmas tree up ever since I moved here, and I know before that. Um, and so, when we moved houses, we of course kept it up. But then all the lights kind of burned out, and it was pre-lit, and so we had to go through a little bit of an adventure and take out all of the pre-lit lights that were coiled around. 
Um, and then I got some LEDs, which is good because they're more energy efficient. And my goal is to have it decorated for every holiday. So like what I'll probably do is keep these lights on for um, Thanksgiving, but just make them orange. Mm. And then do red and orange Thanksgiving uh, ornaments. And then, of course, for Christmas, we'll probably do rainbow lights and rainbow ornaments. Um, and then uh, probably, I don't know, we could do my birthday, and that could just be yellow, because it's my favorite color. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, let's see, what's after that? Probably St. Patrick's, Patrick's or Day. Or Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. That's Easter? a quick turnaround. Yeah. Well, so pick one, really. Yeah. I think, uh, well, St. Patrick's Day, we could do it all green and black. That would be really cool. Mm-hmm. And maybe gold. Mm. Um, and then um, Easter, we would try and just do rainbow lights again. And it, we could recycle, like, the lights. Basically, yeah. my goal is to have, like, a box for each holiday um, where we can just store the decorations. So that way we don't have to buy new ones every year. Um, and... Uh, then 4th of July, and then probably back to Halloween, probably. Yeah. We'll try to keep y'all, our audience, uh, posted on social media. If we remember and hold us to it, if you're listening, we'll throw up a picture of Halloween tree to our Instagram. Um, a video might be a little bit better just because the lights cycle through. Yeah, I definitely thought maybe something something short. We'll put up an image on Instagram, and we'll do a video on Patreon, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get bigger first, huh? Um, no, I can't do a boomerang, though. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. But I yeah. can put it up on Twitter also. Yeah, we'll throw it I can up for you guys. Boomerang. Just keep us posted, uh, or we'll keep you posted, and you, you try to keep us accountable. Uh, but it's a cool one. It's cool. It is cool. It's uh, something I think... We all should do, because honestly, this is a year with no rules. This is a life with no rules. Why not have a holiday tree all year round? Christmas or just in general, lights make me a lot happier. And so why not just keep that energy going? True, true. Well, with that being said, welcome to this week's episode of Not an Expert Podcast. We are wrapping back around to a Megan episode. She is briefly uh, peppered in some conversation about what this episode is going to be about, but we're we're not entirely uh, versed on this topic as we may have been on last week's about RBG. So this one's going to be a little bit more foreign to us, and we're excited to hear what it's about. Um, okay, so I'm going to start this off by saying that this is uh, definitely more in the true crime uh, realm of things. This is about murders, and I normally don't try and force those on you guys because I know that that is uh, my deep, dark obsession. Uh, Kevin also likes it. Um, but uh, even still, it's an interesting story. It takes place here um, in Georgia. In, in this house? Yeah, it's the history of this house. Why do you think Megan never goes in the attic? Yeah, for real. I get so scared shitless of that attic. Um, Anyways, I first heard about this on uh, My Favorite Murder, but I don't want that to deter you if you do listen to to My Favorite Murder, uh, just because I tried to find completely different stories, or I mean sources, and tell this in a completely different way. Um, That being said, thank you, Karen and Georgia, for (laughs) giving me this topic. Um, just because I think it's really interesting and there's a lot of, um, like, uh, just, uh, 
I don't know. There's just a lot of things at play in this one. Uh, the murder itself is fairly straightforward, but uh, as far as the way it was handled and uh, leading up to it, it's just incredibly interesting. So without further ado, I'm doing the Corpsewood Manor Murders. Um, was it named the Corpsewood Manor before or after the murder? Before, so basically, oh. I'm gonna give you. It was uh, named Corpsewood by its owners. Um, I am going to kind of dive in. Um, so, where this manor uh, is um, is in Chattooga County, which is right by Chattanooga, um, but it's on the Georgia side. Mm-hmm. It's by like the Appalachian yeah. Mountains, so mm-hmm. it's not far from here. We've oh, probably is... driven past it. It is not like a paved road or anything oh, that is a to it. Right there. Yes, but that was the goal for them. So basically, yeah. uh, Corpsewood Manor uh, was built and created by a man named Dr. Charles Sketter. Um, he's incredibly interesting, and so I'm mainly going to focus on him and his life because. As all murder stories should be told, they should be way, way more about the victims and not about the murderers. Um, Just because for murderers, that's a huge ego thing. They want people to know them. They want people to, you know, like, have them go down in history. But really, we need to be focusing more on the victims and the lives that they led. um, Because that is, I mean, ultimately just way more important. Uh, way more important framing. Um, so just a, I got a lot of this information from findagrave.com, um, which basically was the only thing that was comprehensively telling me, like, beginning to end, like, Carl Scudder, where was he born? What was he doing before he, you know, created Corpsewood Manor? Um, so essentially he was born in... I don't even know how to pronounce this. Wowatosa, Milwaukee County, Wisconsin, um, on the sixth of October, nineteen twenty-six. It's about um, as close. Based off of the spelling I'm reading off of her paper, I, I think she killed it. I don't think that there's a better way to pronounce <laughs> that. Sorry. Um, But uh, he basically was a scholar. Uh, In the 1940s, he studied at Oberlin College and was involved with the school's drama program. Um, He took one of the lead roles in his school's 1945 production of Candidia? Candida. That's right. Oh, Candida. But the reason that, that that's kind of important is just because he essentially is described by people who knew him as fairly eccentric, and I'll dive into those. Um, it just makes me wonder comparatively, like, if people wrote articles about me, like, would I be described as fairly eccentric? Yeah, probably. Um, but, uh, so he was married twice. His first marriage was to Helen Kilborn Hay- Hayslet on uh, the 10th of September, 1946, uh, and that was in Michigan. Um, She was born in Chicago. Uh, They had studied together in college, and uh, their marriage soon ended in divorce. No judgments. So did mine. Um, In the early 1950s, he married his second wife, uh, Bortai Bunting. Um, She was born in 1931, and according to this, she is still living. What was the name? Uh, Bortai Bunting. Okay, that sounds like some sort of... 
Japanese baseball trick. Oh, boar tie? Will you, <laughs> will you fetch me my tie? Uh, it's, a, it's a boar tie bunt, you know, it's whenever it doesn't, it goes yeah. past the pitcher, but not to second quite. Yeah, um, maybe in cricket or something. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, she was the daughter of a British modernist poet. Oh, you'll love this. Basil bunting. <laughs> Basil. Smashing. <laughs> no comment on that one. Um, and Marion Culver. Uh, they later separated after having four sons. Um, this says their names, but it doesn't really matter. Um, but basically, they were close in age. Uh, two, or one was born in 1950, one 1951, one 1952, one 1953. So all four of them, they just rotated Waste no through. no time on that one. Um, they did divorce, though. Uh, that is something that they don't really say in here, but important to note that they were not still together at the time that he bought Corpse with Manor. Um, he was a student at La- uh, Loyola uh, University, and after graduation, he became the associate direction for Loyola, Loyola University of Chicago Institute for mine drugs and behavior um which this was basically in the 70s and so or no i'm sorry it was before the 70s so it led up to the mk ultra stuff in the 70s um there's a lot of like i guess discrepancy on whether or not he was really taking place and like or taking part in the lsd Mm -hmm. experiments because honestly mind drugs and behavior is a wide berth of things yeah um that studies like psychological disorders mental health um i mean even just psychology of the mind uh and then of course Drugs and there, are, <laughs> there's more than just LSD. Mind and behavior is already complex enough, and yeah. then you introduce drugs yeah. to the yeah. It really, party. but he worked as an associate um, professor. Um, basically, the person he studied under Dr. Alexander. Karksmar. I don't know why I chose the art, like the things with the most complicated names. Um, he basically described uh, his former student, friend, and colleague as being quite eccentric. Um, at times, he dyed his hair purple or red. Oh, I know. Oh, I was man. like, can you oh, imagine if somebody wrote an article every time I dyed my hair? I mean. That's man. a lot of articles. That would yeah. take up the whole internet. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. that would be it. Can you believe um, it? <laughs> he also kept a pet monkey. Um, which okay, that's a little more eccentric. That's more eccentric. Uh, arguably just as eccentric as having seven animals <laughs> and a fish tank, you know. Um, but uh, he bought a mansion on West Adams Street in Chicago and filled it with Baroque furniture. Um, basically, the thing that I think has been a theme kind of throughout his life is that he was like, a goth before being yeah, a goth right. was cool. Like, yeah. he basically, he was super into things like, um, I don't know, he was, he was into dark areas. I mean, he endearingly named this house that he, or this, this plot of land that he bought, the Corpse Wood. Um, he sort of had a love for, like, morbid things. He wasn't really too interested in Damn, sticking to the, the status quo. Guy. He's the OG Look, guy. If, yeah. if that's what he's into, man. If, you don't, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. You know what I'm saying? 
I do know what you're saying, and I'm going to glaze over it. So this was not an ex <laughs> And but I'm it's a pun on the phrasing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I'm using the word baroque since that's the type of furniture that he filled his house mm-hmm. with. Um, oh, now I get it. Okay. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. We can move now, forward Kevin. with the podcast now. Um, he actually got it uh, from a few theaters that were liquidating furniture, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, but he he was accomplished, and he really wasn't like. He had a very stable life with a career, um, and for him, though, the type of person that he was, it's easy to see how he probably felt really restrained and held back in what he was doing. Um, He also was an accomplished harp player and had been invited to play with the Chicago uh, Symphony Orchestra. So he was really talented. Um, His harp was worth a lot of money. I only know that because it was donated as like part of his estate. Um, so he had a fancy harp. He had a fancy house. Um, but uh, by the 1970s, Scudder's sons were all adults. Um, so he and Joseph Odin, Odum, sorry, who he had hired in 1959 to help with his kids, uh, continued to live in the mansion on West Adams Street. So an interesting note about Joseph Odom uh, is that he was considerably younger than Scudder. However, um, they kind of say, like, yes, he hired, but it kind of depends on what article you read. Some of them will come out and say it, that he was his partner. Mm -hmm. Some will say that he was just the cook. Some will say that he was just there for child care. Um, they really try and tiptoe around it. I tried to pull from sources that were written around the time. Because um, I just always think that, like, the perspective of it is interesting. If you're writing, there is a book on this, but, like, mm-hmm. if you're writing more in the 70s about this stuff, you're going to color it a little bit differently than if you're writing in 2019 about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to pull from from... A myriad of sources just to see what people will come right out and say versus what they'll try and tiptoe around but essentially they were long-term life partners mm-hmm. um they did not get married so because uh, they couldn't um so he was married twice to women and then obviously uh found you know his true self and his partner um i'm not sure exactly what their age different difference was all i know is that people were like they can't be together he's a younger man um so there is that uh but they continued to live in the mansion however pretty quickly you know with um charles scudder he kind of felt like he didn't want to be a part of living in Chicago anymore. Um, so in 1975, after several months of searching for land throughout the Southeast, um, Dr. Scudder bought a, a quarter, uh, <laughs> he bought a quarter of a lot in Chattooga County, mm-hmm. essentially, is my paraphrasing of that. He spent $10,500 on it. Um, the reason I bring up the price is because a lot of people kind of guessed that he was wealthy, um, but that's not true. He actually spent most of his retirement, his life savings, on this plot of land and then building a house by hand. Um, and so a lot of people would be like, well, you 
you know, you're going off and you don't have a job, like, how are you surviving? Um, and he, he essentially got a small inheritance. It was $100 a month is what it amounted to, and that he kept his living expenses under that. Um, and that was how he afforded to kind of go off the grid like he had kind of been dreaming of. Um, but in 1976, on his 50th birthday, uh, Scudder resigned from the university that he had been working at and the University of Chicago and moved with, this says his partner now, uh, friend and housekeeper, Joseph Odin, to Tatuga County. Um, it basically, he says it, it was in order to live a more simple life in the mountains of the Chattahoochee Natu- National Forest. Um, they built a castle-like house of Scudder's own design on the top of a mountain. Uh, they dubbed it Corpsewood Manor to honor the way of the surrounding trees, uh, or to honor the way that the surrounding trees looked when Scudder and Odom arrived that winter. So they were just kind of like twisted, and mm-hmm. um, so they named it lovingly Corpsewood Manor, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really. Cute. Um, but also, uh, I did find, and th- I was surprised that this kind of hadn't been brought to my attention, uh, Charles Sketter wrote an article about why he moved to Corpsewood Manor. Um, and I just wanted to kind of, I, I do kind of want to read it, um, but I'll try and summarize some parts of it too. Um, but he starts it out saying, people often fantasize about trying out different and usually, at least in the imagination, far better lifestyles, but few actually change the way they live. Social commitments, habit systems, and inertia stop most such dreamers cold. Um, they just don't know that all it takes to realize a fantasy is a small amount of money, a bit of luck, and a whole lot of courage. Um, so he was definitely a dreamer and he's just one of those people. He was eccentric. He felt boxed in and just decided to go out to the middle of nowhere, which most people in his community really thought he was crazy for doing. So this was just kind of like his article that he wrote. Um, this is in mother earth news. If you wanted to find it yourself, he sounds like a chillest fuck dude. dude. Yeah, he really does. Um, this is where he kind of explains that he was air quotes, old when he came into a modest inheritance, which amounted to a monthly income of around $100. Um, So that's basically it. He decided that if he could get himself to the point where he could live off of $100 a month, then he could realize his dreams and kind of just say, fuck everybody, especially... You know, in the in the fifties, sixties, seventies, being homosexual, being gay, yeah. uh, especially in Chicago, was probably something that was not widely accepted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could see, yeah, definitely, just wanted to be like, fuck it, bye. Later, I'm Deuce. just gonna yeah. move on a mountain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and how many do times do you suggest that? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I was gonna say, Dev would have got along yeah. with this guy. Yeah. Yeah, he seems like a really cool guy. So basically, he just built um, a brick house. Uh, One of the things he described his old mansion in Chicago as, and this I thought was really telling, he said, uh, I lived in an old mansion in a decaying residential area that was more like a mausoleum, a tomb requiring care, uh, cleaning, and endless costly repairs, which I was like, bitch, yeah, if you felt that way, get the fuck out of there. Like... 
Absolutely, I could see that bogging you down. So he just felt like he was watching his life pass him by. He also felt like he was being really boxed out um, because he was like, yes, I have a pension and I get increases, but inflation is going so much faster (laughs) than my raises. And so um, I definitely wanted to get out of there. The other thing he said was as soon as he got home each evening, uh, he changed into his old uh, jeans and muddle about in the garden, finding there the only real moments of satisfaction left in my urban oh, life. Damn. So he knew what he wanted. Damn. He just felt like he was wasting away and, yeah. you know, went went off. Um, it takes a lot of courage to move, even from that to a middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Place. Well, and to me, I could relate a lot to what he is saying um, because, I mean, I moved from Colorado to here. Yeah. Uh, not because Colorado is bad at all. I love Colorado. You know, I didn't feel yeah. like I was dying there or anything, but I definitely feel way more alive and way more able to be myself here yeah. um, than I felt there. So I definitely get, like... You know, um, he said that he definitely was looking for uh, just a place with a measure of isolation. Um, So he said uh, he figured that the cash from the sale of my city property, plus my retirement fund and the money in escrow, uh, I would be allowed to make such a move. So I drove down to Georgia to take a look. So, again, emphasizing that. Like, yes, he had money, but he invested basically all of it into what he built. Um, And uh, he says that Joe and I, plus his two English Mastiffs, uh, left for their kingdom. Oh, my God. Isn't that cute? Adorable. Isn't that cute? And they had little... Well, actually, English Mastiffs are huge. I say they had little dogs, but English Mastiffs are, think Great Danes, but bulkier. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, they are... Um, They called them guard dogs. They had uh, like gargoyles out there and they called their their dogs like their guard dogs. So they were definitely goth. Like they really loved kind of the morbid. Um, But hey, what part of us doesn't? You know, I think that it's all cute and endearing. Um, (laughs) He said, cutting ties that I have taken a lifetime to form is a draining experience and throwing away professional security and all its supposed convenience and luxuries is like losing a piece of oneself. But for me, the change was like crawling out of an old, outworn skin. So this for him was really like his liberation. Yeah, straight up metamorphosis. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Some Baroque-ass shit right there, by the way. <laughs> that phrasing. Yeah. He he does kind of lean more into the theatrical uh, phrasing. But I really like it. Um, so basically, he said that they were on their way up there. They got lost. And it was winter. And they just were like, well, okay. Like, we better start to learn to live off the land now. And so they built their, their house piece by piece. Um so they cleared the forest, and then they built by hand their house. Um, they said they celebrated each achievement with a bottle of homemade wine. Um, he goes through a list of kind of their most memorable memorable days. He said that um, they <laughs> they celebrated the day they got the entire pumping system in the wall casing. Um, so they got really excited when they had uh, water, and they called it Water Day. Um, and then they also found, they also got the kerosene refrigerator and got it to work. Ice cube day. Um, not to be confused with the day that we celebrate. Ice cube. Ice cube, the rapper. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, 
And then he said that they got trenches and pipes for sinks, uh, and they called that privy day, which that I think is maybe language I'm not so used to, but essentially they had working plumbing to kind of clear yeah. out their outhouse and stuff. Yeah, um, I'm, not, I'm not privy to the other definition of privy. I thought privy was like a bathroom <laughs> or something. I, I'm not, that might make sense, yeah, because he brought up the outhouse. So anyways, they um, they also celebrated the day that they had gotten the first floor kind of completed, mm-hmm. um, and they were finally able to move in, because basically up until that point, they had been living in a trailer next to where they wanted yeah. their house mm-hmm. and been building it during the day. Uh, um, and he said that uh, when they got that first level completed, he just... Uh, Loved it, and the results were pleasing, and he had never laid a brick before in his life. So they were learning as they go. They were they were just oh, that's building themselves like a little kingdom. That's and super cool. Yeah, they said, uh, of course, we celebrated Foundation Day, Beam Day, and at long last, Roof Day. Um, so they, they ended up basically building the first story of this house, and I can show you guys pictures, but it's just brick. There's no, like, drywall on the inside. It's just... Two layers of brick and then insulation on the inside. Um, And then they moved into the first floor while they built the second floor. Um, And then they sort of started building, like, a garden um, around them. They had a winery um, in their backyard. They had a vineyard where they made their own wine in their their backyard. Um, They said it took them two short years, and they were living in an elegant mini castle. Um... So then he he's still talking about why he decided to move, and he says, in fact, we live in grand style on a little over 200 a month. Of course, we have no electricity, no phone, and no television set, but we don't miss those things. We also have no electric bill, no phone bill, no water bill, and no fuel bill. We owe no one. Um, so... This was it. Just living off the grid. Yeah, they were Ooh. living off the grid. It wasn't. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't like they were. You know, but they were. They were building the house that they wanted, and having to answer to nobody uh, was definitely something that was appealing to them. Um, so another building that they built on the property was the what they called the chicken house. Um, it was a three-story building. Uh, on the first first level was where they housed their chickens. Um, the second level. This is where it's a little, like, you start to see, I guess, a little bit more of a glimpse into their eccentricities. Um, The second level was for porn and storage because they had a large collection of porn. Where else to keep it but above the chickens? And then the third floor was for the pink room. Um, They just sort of said this is where guests stay, uh, but it was more like a... Playroom. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah. But they were open with their relationship. They were, um, they invited other people to the pink room with them. Um, and if a chicken were to slip in there and they were not, <laughs> how, are they how are they to, they to know? know? <laughs> um, they, I just wanted to end this uh, with things that he wrote uh, before I dive into more of the story. Um, he closes out kind of his his essay that he wrote saying, why enter the golden years filled with remorse for things undone? My message is that we older people are really free, even more so um, than our young folks. And because of our experiences, perhaps at at least a little more wise. If we want a different, fuller, more exciting life than we're leading, one closer to this beautiful earth, we can have it. Our only chains are those in our minds. 
Um, just promise me that you'll think about it seriously for a while. After all, wouldn't you like to live in your own kind of castle in the country? Um, so he had a very millennial mindset, yeah. um, but was encouraging people around him just to kind of reframe what they were doing. But all the things he was saying seemed very, like, millennial mm -hmm. to me, where we're like, mm -hmm. well, we don't really need to answer to the man. But he was so ahead of his time, because this was in the 70s, where... Yeah. People, I mean, there were lots of social justice issues and lots of things to really pull attention from. Um, but he was just like, oh, I don't really want to be a professor anymore. And you know what? I just think I'm going to fuck the rest of it, too. Like, see ya. I'm outie. Yeah. Um, despite, though, the fact that, you know, they had this pink room that people knew about, uh, they were widely accepted in the North Georgia community. Um, which was unexpected. Nobody expected to like them, but they really, the neighbors loved them. They would come by. Uh, they would always have, like, a glass of their homemade wine. Um, and people Maybe really, really the loved them. Room. They did. They would come into the pink room. Like, they knew, like, here's the thing about North Georgia. Even if you are an extremely conservative, devout Christian, North Georgia is still going to hate your fucking guts because it's still not going to be enough for them. Like, North Georgia is very close-minded, conservative. Like, unless you are waving a Trump flag off the back of your car, then you are not enough. Um, so for these guys who were... How ironic. Yeah. Um, they, uh, so for these guys who were living a very eccentric life, um, for the community to really kind of embrace them was something unexpected, but that really made everybody a lot happier. Um, they uh, also were well known in the community um, for, I guess, that with the kids, they would provide, um, God, this drug called, you, you guys aren't even going to believe it, Toodaloo. Toodaloo is the name of this drug, um, and it was a mixture of varnish, paint thinner, and other things in a plastic bag. So here's the other fun thing that really draws me to this story. Um, you can't tell from all the things that I've told you, uh, but Dr. Charles Scudder is a member of the Church of Satan. Um, and so he was pretty widely known as a member of the Church of Satan as well, even in North Georgia. Um, one of the people uh, said, though, that he had been told that he was actually an atheist, and so he had just joined to kind of check it out. Um, however, the Church of Satan, just to go into some history on that, is actually completely made up of atheists. Um, so the Church of Satan, they do not believe in God or Satan. Um, they actually just believe that humans are holy beings and that we shouldn't be depriving ourselves of earthly pleasure um, in whatever form that takes. And so they are advocates for abortion, women's rights. Uh, basically, they just kind of go around in any situation where the reason they call themselves the Church of Satan is actually because... Um, in schools, when they say that, well, we should start the day with a prayer, the Church of Satan will then come and they'll, they spend their time suing schools and being like, oh, you want to say a prayer? Okay, cool. Then we should, you have to say one of our prayers too. Mm -hmm. So they name themselves something provocative like the Church of Satan um, or devil worshipers or whatever. Um, so that way 
you know, they could basically fight for freedom of religion and separation of church and state, um, which is something really great. And uh, a lot of them do dabble in drugs, but they just basically believe that being human is enough and that we shouldn't be depriving ourselves of the world around us, um, which also kind of explains their openness towards sex. And, I mean, if you think in the 1950s, everybody forcing these men to be closeted, a entire community where they were just able to live as themselves and have whatever approach towards sexuality and gender that they wanted to was probably really appealing. Um, in addition to other things, I mean, I don't think there's really, maybe giving it out to like high school kids isn't the best idea, but it was just based on their belief system. They were like, I don't believe in depriving you of earthly pleasures. If you want some paint varnish, here you go. Um, they themselves didn't partake of it. Um, so that's important to note, but they definitely were there to be just kind of a safe space. And so a lot of times like high schoolers would go and like hang out there um, because Dr. Charles Scudder's family, well, not his family, but his, I think, siblings lived nearby. And so his niece and nephew would come, I think maybe just his niece, uh, would come by frequently and bring their friends. And it wasn't like a uncomfortable, yes, they would hang out in the pink room, but there was nothing <laughs> like, you know, being, yeah, there's yeah. A, they were just a, cool guys who didn't believe in, you know, restraining people's freedom mm -hmm. and I mean take from that what you will but I don't particularly see anything more wrong with that than I do with like refusing to teach kids sex ed because they don't need to know about it like well they do um, <laughs> but uh, anyways despite that the community was still open and accepting towards them um, and so that's good. Uh, that is also how they met. Uh, I believe it was Samuel T. West. Um, no, maybe it was Kenneth Brock. I actually think it was Kenneth Brock who um, was just out of high school. He was one of those guys who, in your hometown, you know those people who are literally never going to fucking leave your hometown. Like they were. Oh, yeah. 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 He lived with an older man who I believe was Samuel West. Um, and he was talking about, like, oh, yeah, like, sometimes I go over to these guys' house. Well, Samuel West was a little bit older. I think he was in his 30s. And he said, oh, those guys must be loaded if they're just, like, no jobs. And they've built all of this stuff. They must have a lot of resources. And yeah. so you see why I kind of emphasize that they do not. Like, mm -hmm. all of their money is in the things that they've built around them. Mm -hmm. um, but they have virtually no money. Um, but... Uh, Brock and West thought differently, and uh, it's kind of speculated that the, I think it was Brock. Man, I'm going to feel like an ass if I'm wrong. Um, but Brock had gone over and engaged in sexual situations with them before, but was embarrassed about it. Uh, they basically, when they searched his um, room, they found a lot of homosexual porn and um, it's obvious that he had known them pretty well, enough for them to be comfortable with him coming around. Um, and so there's a, he's probably pretty easy to sway because he was feeling a lot of shame. And so when um, Samuel West was like, hey, we're going to get these guys this money, he was probably like, okay, I mean, 
why not? You know, because uh, he didn't see anything wrong with mm-hmm. um, what they were doing. So, anyways, um, on the 12th of December in 1982, Kenneth Brock, Samuel West, Joey Lavon Wells, which who is West's nephew, um, and Teresa Lynn Huggins, who was um, Joey Wells's girlfriend, um, went to Corpsewood. They just went to the third floor of the pink room. Um, and they drank wine, sniffed toodaloo, you know, just had a time. Because when you're young and you have nothing to do in a small town, you just kind of fucking hang out. Um, so Brock had been to the house several times before. So thank God I didn't mess that up. Brock is the high schooler that had they were very <laughs> familiar with him. Um, so Dr. Scudder did not partake in the huffing, but did share with the others homemade wine. So, again, yes, they're, you know, high schoolers, but they really don't believe that anybody should be held back from anything. Um, So, Brock essentially excused himself and said, hey, I'm going to go make more toodaloo. Dr. Scudder was the only one uh, in the pink room with them. So, um, Joseph Odom and their dogs were down in the main house. Um, So, when he said that he was going to get more... uh, Toodaloo, what he had actually done is gone to the main house, which he hadn't been in before. They normally didn't let guests into the main house, Mm -hmm. um, which is also part of the reason that he was like, man, I wonder what treasures they're hiding in there because they don't really, they just definitely had a separation between their space and a communal space, Mm -hmm. Um, which again, there's nothing wrong with. Yeah. Um, Like, I don't ask people to just like come and hang out in mine and Kevin's room. (laughs) Like, that's our room. Um, not that you guys would be unwelcome. We live together, though. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he basically had gone, and without, you know, giving too many gory details, he basically had gone and shot uh, Joseph Odom and the two dogs, which I'm extremely upset about, but... I was like, okay, how the fuck did the dogs let him get away with this? It's because they knew him. He had been there. The dogs knew who he was, and so they weren't thinking anything weird. Um, And so basically he came back up to the pink room. He pointed a rifle at Scudder. Apparently Scudder said bang, bang in an attempt to defuse this situation. Um, like, just, like, if he was, like, bang, bang, I don't know, I don't know. That's a weird detail for them to include. Um, the nephew and his girlfriend did attempt to leave. Uh, they went back to West's vehicle. It would not start, so they had to go back to the situation, which is very unfortunate. Um, so they found Brock holding a knife to shut to Scudder's throat. Uh, Scudder then stated, "What kind of game are you playing? I'll play any game you want." Um, Brock then began asking him where he kept his money. Um, it, obviously, he was like, "It's all around you. Like, what do you mean, my money? Like, you know." They really thought that they were going to make out big on this, and they just had a bad understanding of like what the situation was not to make any excuses for them that's less of an excuse they were dumb they didn't understand that like the things around them did take money um so uh 
It does, oh, I think I got this wrong. I guess Brock left the room with the gun and then shot Odom in the kitchen of the corpse with Manor and then killed the two Mastiffs and they, oh, they were asleep. I hate it. I fucking hate it. It's no, it's no good. Um, then he returned to Scudder. He basically bound him with a sheet. Um, and he ushered Scudder back into the house with the group. Um, this is the saddest part. When Scudder saw Odom on the floor, he began making moaning noises through the gag. They asked him for a soldering iron, He didn't, but he didn't have any electricity, so they were like, oh, yeah, that was dumb of us to ask. Um, Scudder got up and attempted to make it over to Odom, crying out in pain and saying, I asked for this. And then he was shot. Those were his last words, that he asked for this. Like, can you imagine that you just want to, like, go out, live in the middle of nowhere with the love of your life, you finally found happiness, you finally found what makes you feel content and makes you feel like you can breathe. They did live there for six years, um, like, in bliss. So it's not like it was just the moment that they... But even still, six years is too short of a time, especially since he had finally found the thing that he wanted to do. Um, essentially, they they then ransacked the house. Um, they... <laughs> They attempted to steal Scudder's harp, but it was too big for the vehicle. Duh. <laughs> Dumbasses. So they stole um, Scudder's black Jeep, um, but they had to kind of ditch that vehicle because a fun fact about uh, Scudder's Jeep is that it had two um, of the upside-down stars. What are they called? The upside-down stars? Star and- David? No, that's the Jewish Pentagrams? one. Yeah. Pentagrams, oh, Pentagrams. Thank you. on the doors. Yeah. And so it wasn't conspicuous. Oh, they like, were David still the star of David. <laughs> <laughs> um they uh, so it wasn't conspicuous. So they had to um, they stole a car from a navy lieutenant. Um, they took him out to the forest and killed him as well. Uh, I bring this up because it is said that basically they probably would have gotten away with this if they hadn't killed that third person. Not because people didn't know that they did it, but because the way they painted Dr. Scudder and um, Joseph Odom afterwards basically made it so no law enforcement wanted to prosecute. They were like, "Um, we don't give a fuck. You just shot two devil worshipers. Like, high five, bud. Um... And so if he hadn't killed this third person, it likely they likely wouldn't have even been persecuted. Like the um, entire nice. police department would have probably looked the other way, but because they killed um, not just a normal person, but a Navy lieutenant, um, his name was Kirby Key Phelps. Um, he was traveling from Jacksonville, Florida to San Francisco, California, where he was being reassigned. Um, he was planning on stomping in Oklahoma City to visit his mother for Christmas. Damn. That sucks. Yes. Just killed so many people with great stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's uh, way more important to remember the victims. Way yeah. more important to talk about it. Because, again, it's also important to just not let those people be forgotten. Yeah. You know, uh, truthfully, I do feel like I admire Dr. Scudder quite a bit. He found what he wanted to do, and he built it. And he like was choosing his path of happiness everybody else be fucking be damned you know and i think that that's a good thing that we should admire and should talk about um 
On the 16th of December, uh, their friend Raymond Williams went to Corpsewood Manor to inform them that a friend, uh, Ray Hood from Rome, had passed away on the 14th. Uh, Raymond noticed gunshots on the door, and like a fucking G, uh, he went back down and called the sheriff's office. He did not go in that house. That is something in true crime that messes up so many investigations that people will be like, Oh, let me walk in. Let me get my fingerprints all over everything. Let me try and clean up the mess. Like, just so you know, if you ever stumble upon something horrifying, leave it. Um, even even police, uh, like, even police officers sometimes mishandle evidence, and that can essentially lead to a cold case. Um, so a nationwide manhunt began because on that same day, Teresa Hudgens uh, came forward. Basically, she had said that they had been being kept at Wes' mom's house. They had been kidnapped and tied up, and she wasn't able to get out. But because they had left, um, and it was just the mom. I don't think the mom was there. Mm. Um, but uh, they were able to escape, and so she went and reported it, and that's why we know, like, his last words and the circumstances surrounding, um, because there's a reliable witness who was there. Um, But uh, anyways, in Austin, Texas, West and Brock split up. Um, Brock arrived. I'm not sure exactly what happened to lead to a change of heart, but Brock arrived in Marietta, Georgia, on the 20th of December and turned himself in. Um, And then Wes later arrived on Christmas Eve in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and turned himself in. Interesting. Yeah, that's not normally how those things go, and I'm not really sure what led to that change of heart. Um, But while investigating the murders, um, law enforcement officials found two human skulls, three vials allegedly filled with LSD, Uh, numerous occult tools, a small occult library, a large general academic and literature library, a homosexual pornography, oh, and homosexual pornography at Corpsewood Manor, um, according to newspaper reports at the time. So basically, they made a lot of decisions based on that. Um, They were like, oh, well, this is fucking fucked, and so uh, we actually don't give a shit about these guys. Um, what, uh, oh, the sheriff's office of Chattooga County, uh, labeled Scudder and Odom devil worshipers. Um, this is just a little interesting. Um, Scudder really liked painting and he was pretty good at it. Um, they found a painting of Scudder gagged with blood dripping from the five bullet wound or from five bullet wounds, which Scudder had painted months earlier. But what's interesting was he was gagged and he was shot five times. And so I just wrote, like, a little prophetic. I mean, he was into morbid things. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't weird that he painted that. Like, he liked seeing things in various states, I'm sure. And honestly, gagging is a kink for people. Pain is a kink for people. Like, it's not... I do not want to make that come across as shaming or anything. I just thought it was interesting because it was kind of a little prophetic. Um, And part of me wonders if um, Brock had seen that and maybe, like, visualized and, like, made that happen because of that. I don't know. I doubt it. That's all conjecture, Your Honor. Um, (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, But their neighbor... 
Raymond Williams told reporters that Charles had joined the Satan uh, Church but said he wasn't a participant. Charles told me he was actually an atheist and that he just joined to see what it was all about. So what's interesting to me is that before I was like, oh, okay, like people in North Georgia were accepting of them, but then they found out and they weren't. But that's not the case. They knew the whole time and they were still trying to push law enforcement to move quicker and to not just smear their names and be like, mm-hmm. this is just an occult house. Like, you know, there they were pentagrams and stuff, but they, the community actually really, really pushed to not just have that yeah. be the only lens I that mean, they were seen through, which in North honest, Georgia is mind-blowing. A pentagram is the same, same thing as a cross. Mm-hmm. It is the same exact thing. There is no difference. I so if you are offended by having a pentagram, you should be offended by every single cross that exists. Well, me personally, you know? I definitely so am, if, but I'm not offended by a pentagram. I don't know. Yeah, I think that, I think people need to understand that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, even open-minded people, don't understand that. That yeah. it is a symbol and it's the same exact thing. Arguably worse, because yeah. there have been millions dead over one and not the other. Yeah. So... I mean, I don't disagree with you. Um, So, basically, Dr. Scudder's membership uh, in the Church of Satan has since been confirmed. um, And it says by Magus Peter H. Gilmore and Magistra Blanche Barton, both of the Church of Satan. Of course, they got name changes after. I would change my name to something gothic as fuck after I joined the <laughs> Church of Satan as well. What, did, what was their name? Uh, Magus Peter H. Gilmore and Magistra Blanche Barton. I'm fairly certain that the first parts of their name are titles of the Church of Satan. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I was like, like Magus, I got something. you. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um... Both of the Church of Satan, uh, in fact, this I just thought was fun, um, the founder of the Church of Satan, Anton Xander LeVay, had been in communication with Dr. Scudder. Um, it has been rumored that he had visited the Corpsewood, uh, but the Church of Satan has been not been able to find uh, absolute proof of a visit, uh, and they say they doubt it occurred. Um According to Barton, Dr. LeVay was enraged and grieved by the injustice of what happened to them. LeVay viewed the murders as evidence that there were still areas in the United States where eccentrics were still attacked for holding beliefs outside of the norms. True. That sounds like today. Sad and true. Yep. Sad and true. Yeah, I highlighted that because that was important. um, I mean... It's the same. Yeah. Especially same shit if you go to years later. Yeah, especially if you go to North Georgia, it's the exact it's fucking terrible. same. It's yeah. Absolutely terrible. Why it's does it have awful. to be that all these uneducated places mm-hmm. are the mm-hmm. worst? Like it's just it's crazy. It's yeah. almost as if not being educated makes you worse. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Um sure, though. So, uh basically uh, a few weeks before his murder, Scudder had received a birthday card from San Francisco from the Church of Satan that wished him a happy sixth birthday, a happy 56th birthday, um, which is how I know, six years. That was my math. I didn't mm. look at the years. I just looked at the birthdays. Boom. What can I say? What can I say? Um, friends have stressed that Dr. Scudder being openly gay 
in a time uh, period where discrimination and, and worse was common would have made the COS's policy of anything goes between consenting adults very attractive. Which, I mean, anything goes between consenting adults is attractive to me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. Okay. There's a lot of this where, like, the way it's written, this one was fairly unbiased. I will say that, but in some of the articles, especially the ones written closer to when this happened, um, definitely tried to make it sound like, oh, they, you know, had sex in the pink room. Like <laughs> they live in the middle. Like, let them have sex in the pink room if they want. Yeah. Like, that's not weird. I think they're just jealous, to yeah. be honest. And they're like, what? Big facts. He can't do what he wants if I can't <laughs> do what I want. Uh-uh. I'm not going to let him do that. Well, and it honestly, it reminds me a lot of the Rebecca Harkness, what I was doing then, where, yeah. you know, the stuff that was written during that time period made her out to be salacious when she was just probably, like, fun-loving. Yeah. 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 She's probably, like, you an know? outgoing, happy-go-lucky person. Normal-ass person. But I am drawn to those types of stories just because the lens that they're viewed through is so interesting to me that people not only hold these beliefs, but they write them down and then they publish them. That's crazy to me. Um, good analogy. Good uh, comparison between the two. Yeah, I, I think that that's it. I don't know. The more I read this, the more I was like, oh, I'm worried this is going to be kind of exactly like my last episode where I go on similar <laughs> tangents. But, like, so what? It's important. It's important mm -hmm. to know that, you know, as easy as it is for me to look back on things written in the 70s and be like, yo, that's fucked. I hope that we're able to look back to right now and say the same thing. Like, man, I can't believe that there was ever a time when gay people didn't feel accepted and felt like they had to come out, you know? Mm -hmm. Or, like, I hope that we look back and they're like, man, I can't believe that we ever just decided a person's gender for them. You know, I hope that we can look back sort of through the same filter and be like, as as progressive as I feel like we've been since the 70s in some ways. It feels like in a lot of ways we're digressing. But Anyways, um, during the trial of Weston Brock, Dr. Scudder was accused of spiking the wine with LSD in order to try and have oral sex with them. The bottle of wine, when tested by police, did not have any trace of LSD. Um, so they were trying very hard to drag their name through the mud more than they already, you know, more yeah. than the police department already was because they were in front of a jury because murder is a felony, and so you sit in front of a jury for that one. Um, uh, West tried to use the defense of involuntary uh, intoxication. The defense attorney went as far to, as to say the matter, uh, on the matter of the supposed drugging, he had a motive because he was a homosexual. However... Uh, in a nice stroke of justice, the jury ignored this pre uh, prejudi prejudi prejudicial, 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 this fucked line of reasoning. <laughs> yeah, that's a better word, really. Um, Wes himself had confessed to a GBI agent that he and Brock had planned the murders and robbery a few days before the killing. Um, Wes also told the GBI agent that Brock wanted to kill Scudder because Scudder had once engaged in oral sex with a 17-year-old. Again, I feel like Moore's just trying to drag their name through the mud. All of that is honestly conjecture. Like, sorry, mm -hmm. so 
you, the murderer, to defend the murdering, want to say that they did something, that doesn't seem right. If they had had sex with a 17-year-old, you know what? How about we let the courts kind of decide that? Yeah. Apparently, though, this is something that I found out. Um, the local authorities had tried to arrest Scudder and Odom a few times before. Even though the community was accepting, the authorities were not. Um, but they weren't doing anything wrong or illegal. And so they had tried to, which makes me believe this oral sex with a 17-year-old less. Um, because they had, the the authorities were eager to go and get them out yeah, of their community. Like the time and place yeah. they're in. We know what people believed back then. Like, but the fact that their neighbors were all like, no, they're fine. We love those dudes. Yeah, we're over there all chill, the time. Yeah. They had like weekly um, like book clubs and they would have like, they would invite people over to have their wine. They would cook. Like apparently Odom was a gifted cook. Um, mm. So they would cook even though they didn't have electricity or anything. And that was also romantic. Like, I mean, people love them except for, you know, there's always going to be those dicks. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Anyways, uh, Brock pleaded guilty and was sentenced to three consecutive life turns. Wes was found guilty during a trial and sentenced to death. And I put in there Tennessee versus Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Not having the right number of women on the jury led to a retrial for Wes, which resulted in his guilt being reaffirmed. Um, During his second trial, he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. So they both got the same thing, three consecutive life sentences, um, because a life sentence, I don't know if you guys know this, is not life. Um, It means that they have to hold you there for a minimum amount of time, but you are eligible for parole. However... Brock and Wes remain in Georgia prisons to this day for the murders and have been denied parole multiple times. Oh, thank God. Yes. Hell yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep him in there. Um, Rot. Piece of shit. Rot. So Dr. Scudder's ashes were taken back to Wisconsin by his sister Janet, um, and they were buried in the family plot uh, in April of 1983. So I was hearing this, and I was like, all right, well, it's like a one-hour drive. Let's go see this place. Like, I want to see these trees. However, um, in 1983, on January 5th, the chicken house suffered a fire. Um, And so basically, I was looking at recent pictures. The whole thing is burnt down. It says the chicken house, but it's literally just remnants. Um, So it still might be kind of cool to go see, but... It's remnants, essentially. We wouldn't be able to, like, see anything. Um, Dr. Scudder's gold-encrusted harp and bronze statue of Mephistopheles Mm -hmm. from Corpsewood had fallen into the possession of a a famed defense attorney, Bobby Lee Cook, of Somerville, Georgia, um, by 1886. Um, And basically... Uh, Cook had been hired by Scudder's sons, Ferris, Saul, and Gideon Sutter to uh, represent their claim to the estate. Joseph Odom's sister also claimed the estate as Scudder's will had left everything to him. So basically, um, Joseph Scudder left everything to Joseph Odom, and so Joseph Odom's sister was basically the sole recipient of everything. And that is the story of the Corpsewood Manor murders, which is... I understand difficult to stomach. I know you guys don't that like was true crime. So I just lose hope for the world that every single time. Sad. I am closer it was sad. and closer to having a space colony. 
But you know what it also makes me think of, and this isn't to justify anything, but when he wrote his essay saying, like, would you want, like, I don't want to live a life with things undone. Like, even though the reason he even fell into things with uh, Brooks and West is because he moved there, he got to live his dream for a good amount of time and... Well, six years, which is not a good amount of time. He should have had more. But he did get to live his dream. He did get to do the things that he wanted to do. And that, despite how terrible every single detail of this story ends up being, does give me a little bit of peace that, like, if something like that had happened to him and he was still at the University of Chicago, it would have been a much more tragic story. Mm -hmm. At least this happened to somebody who was fulfilled and living his dream. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, anyways, uh, it's difficult always to navigate away from something so dark and tragic, so you don't have to try and, like, ease the discomfort, really. Um, It's okay that it's uncomfortable. Don't invite random losers to your house. You can live your dream without inviting random losers to your house, That's you know? That's happened so to a bunch pancakes. of my friends. Did you fucking hear who, me? Get the who fuck like, out. Uh, <laughs> who, like, threw, like, parties and stuff, and then they got robbed. Yeah. So they were like, oh, oh my God, I got robbed. They were so surprised. Like, dude, how are you going to be so surprised when you invite anyone you see to your place? Like, no vetting, not knowing who they are. It's like, we That's also want to definitely navigate away from any form of victim blaming. Um, because... You know, but it's a lesson learned for us. It's something that we can take away from it, yeah. sure. But it was not you their can fault. do. They were trying to be the best people. Possible. Anything I've learned from true crime, it's that you can do everything right, and bullshit can still happen to you. Yeah. Um, so I definitely don't want to go into the ter- territory of any victim blaming. Yeah. Yes, we will not invite random people over to our house for sure. I'm on board with that. Um, but um, you know, at now we know about uh, Dr. Scudder and Joseph Odom and an the life story. that they lived and built together. And that is more important than any part of how it ended. True. <laughs> or the people who ended it. To be honest, I don't know. I haven't heard the other uh, My Murder Mystery podcast, but what did they focus on? Because this seems like an extremely mm. interesting person. Sorry, they focus on the same things, um, but they didn't read the letter from Dr. Scudder at all. Oh. Um, which I thought was kind that's of... a really cool letter, though. Yeah, yeah getting another backstory really of person. Yeah. I that, copied and pasted the whole thing, because yeah. I was like, oh, I love That, this. to be honest, yeah. was actually very impressive. Yeah. That is an insight as to what he thought. And, and I think it's something so relatable. Like, at a time when people were like, yo, bitch, you're crazy. For me, yeah. looking at that, I'm like, no, I get it. Like, I definitely get feeling confined by your life and wanting to do something different. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. go fucking do it. You're a bird. Just go fly. Yeah. You're amazing. Like... I think that, um, for me, it was very, very relatable. And so, um, that being said, the way they tell it is also very interesting, so definitely go listen to it. I am a huge fan of My Favorite Murder, so I am not trying to bring down the way they told it. I just wanted to tell you guys, and I thought that um, it's a really interesting story and something close to us um, that happened and that is existing now. I mean, The Corpse of Manor wall burned down it's still there and it's still called Corpsewood Manor so there's that oh, oh. piece of history yeah 
Um, well, on that note... That was a wonderful episode. I just wanted yeah. to, before we started the outro music, oh, yeah. say, thank you for bringing oh, that awesome. to us. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I definitely enjoyed that. I think the moral of the story is to definitely just try to live your best life. Yeah. You know? I really want to go there now, though. Yeah, I kind of want to like go see around, but I also don't want to bastardize anything, so it would definitely have to be like yeah. with permission. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. Um, once again, be yourself, love yourself, go vote. And here's Megan with the outro. Yeah, the, the real outro. Thank you for listening. I hope this isn't too morbid. Um, not everything is going to be a murder, but uh, anything true crime is definitely very interesting to me. So I would love to hear any and all feedback. Thank you again for listening, for taking the time out of your week. Here's to a hopefully better 2020. Please register for your absentee ballots. Go vote. Um, or actually, even better, stay at home and vote. Um, but please register for your absentee ballots and get those in the mail ASAP. Have a beautiful week, everybody. Yay! That was a good one.